Sean Hannity Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Now, Jamie Dupree with the latest breaking news from our nation's capital. All right, he's the most connected man in Washington, D.C. By the way, Ted Cruz at the bottom of the hour. Chris Christie is also coming up, and we'll be debating... Uh, of course, the president's executive action on guns. But first, Jamie Dupree, the most connected man in Washington, joins us once again. A lot going hey, on today. Yeah, uh, obviously, everybody trying to digest what the president has done on guns. You know, it's interesting. There's sort of uh, two schools of thought here. First, you got, uh, you know, both parties have retreated into their natural corners on this. The Republicans uh, objecting and the Democrats, not all, but most supporting. Uh, but there, there's a number of people here, and count me in among them. I'm not really sure how much these actions really achieve. Uh, when you look at the the main goal is to try to funnel more people seemingly to buy guns from a licensed gun dealer. So they really didn't make any change. And the ATF put out this guidance. It's not legally binding. It's not a new rule or anything like that. So nothing has really changed on whether you're in the business of selling. It just looks like that they're going to more strictly enforce the rules, regulations and laws that are on the books already. So uh, I think there's some Republicans wondering really whether this makes a difference or it was just a platform for the broader message because frankly if you go back and listen to the president today at the white house he spent much more time talking broadly about guns and gun control than he did about the individual plans that he rolled out today on guns so in other words what i've been arguing it's all feel-goodism and on top of that this is something uh in certain aspects of what he's proposing he has proposed before congress and congress has said no so it's it's a big issue in terms of the law and the Constitution and separation of powers and co-equal branches of, of government. I argue this is modern liberalism on display. In other words, feel-goodism. It looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. But the fact is no lives are going to be saved. As a matter of fact, in more than a dozen mass shootings since Newtown, you have analysis by the Washington Post and the New York Times found that none of them involve firearms purchased by uh, from unlicensed people, the so-called gun show loophole that the president is moving to crack down on. He yeah, made- the, the the broader discussion today by the president in this event was about about expanding the background checks. You know, the the Mansion Toomey bill that's been discussed before and and didn't go anywhere because of a filibuster. And that was you could tell that was the president's big push was to do that. He does not have the legal authority to do that. The Congress has to do that. And so if you dig down in on the issue of how they're trying to basically, in a sense, I think, scare people who might be skirting the law right now. I mean, there are people out there who technically could be considered to be selling too many guns or making a profit and who might come under the umbrella of, quote-unquote, engaging in the business of selling. And it seemed to me, if you read the ATF document, I put this up on my blog at jamiedupree.com, that it's it's more of an effort, I think, to sort of let those people know, hey, we're watching. There was really nothing new, quote-unquote, that was unveiled by the president on this issue, and he certainly did not take any steps to broaden and expand those who would be forced to get background checks, except for uh, the, the issue of buying a weapon from a trust or a corporation or some other legal entity. Now, in the same breath, I do understand when people say, yeah, but look at what the, is the, in the details of this thing from the ATF. They say that they could, uh, they could say that somebody is a license, should be a licensed dealer, even if they sell a few firearms a year. And there is that in there, but there's also in federal law, and you can't change that 
that unless the Congress passes something. The definition certainly uh, exempts an awful lot of people who only sell one or two firearms or who sell uh, part of their own collection. Well, I think they love to sermonize. I think they love to, you know, they're all talking about the inaction of others. Well, they had control of the legislature and the White House in 2009 and 10. They didn't bring these issues up because they knew they wouldn't win. I mean, listen, I've seen this place go from a majority for gun control. The last time we saw that was really when the Brady Law was enacted in 93, and then uh, the the assault weapons ban vote in 94, which a lot of people think led to this, played a role in the big losses that the Democrats then had in 94. And you've seen a lot of the Democrats run away from gun control in some of those uh, red states. And really since 95, when Newt Gingrich arrived, there has been a working majority here in favor of gun rights and against gun control ever since for 20 plus years now. And, uh, you know, that hasn't changed. But what has changed, I think, is that it's obvious this president, Hillary Clinton, and a number of other prominent Democrats have decided they want to be more aggressive in public on the issue. And that's what I think we saw more than anything today and what we'll see the rest of the week. He's now entering the eighth year of his presidency. By my count, with all the violence we've had in Chicago, and I know the president's shedding tears today, I would argue they're little crocodile tears and clearly an act of manipulation by a master politician, frankly a demagogue, uh, attempting to use emotion to counter reason. But, you know, I I will tell you this. You know, I listen to the president, and I'm, I'm watching him, and I'm sitting back, and I'm saying, where were you all of these years? And I remember distinctly James Foley. Remember that day? When he sure. was in Martha's Vineyard, and, it, and he literally gave a few comments and raced off. Didn't impact his tea time, did he? And that was after he was decapitated uh, by ISIS. And and you know what? I didn't see him getting all misty then. So I'm really cynical about you know the, the display of emotion by a guy that has ignored even his home city for the better part of eight years. Well, what it came down to to Democrats when they were in charge those first two years of the Obama administration in both the House and Senate, they knew they didn't have the votes. And there were a number of people who didn't want to have to be forced. Wait a minute! To, I think they did have. I, it's not that they didn't have. They knew there would be massive political blowback. Well, that's what I just said. Was yeah. there were a lot of Democrats who didn't want to vote on those issues because they felt like it would run against them. But I think and they could have gotten it done had they no, wanted and made it a, an agenda item for them. Nah, I don't. I don't. I don't think that they well, had, they had the not House a majority even in the House. No. Well, a it would have been filibustered in the Senate. But b I'm not sure they could have mustered a majority even though they controlled a majority in the House simply because back then there were still enough blue dog democrats that i don't think it would have happened don't you think the argument if only one life is saved we hear this all the time well if only one life is saved then airplanes have to go away swimming pools need to go away bathtubs need to be eliminated cars and bicycles are gone so i've never bought that as a as an argument um and he never talks about the number of people whose lives are saved which i have chronicled on this program uh because people are armed and use them now, in self-defense. I, I think to me the most interesting thing that has happened uh, on the Democratic side in the last six, 12 months has been the willingness of the president to speak out more and that other people have followed him. There were a number of years in which not much was said outside of just sort of a small subset of Democrats in the in the Congress, and that has changed a little. Now, the dynamic may change, but I'm not sure that, uh, that it changes anything here in the Congress in terms of votes. What about Marsha Blackburn? I read that she's come up with a response to the executive action of the president. President, uh, and uh, I have Speaker uh, Paul Ryan on Hannity tonight. I'll ask him about it. But anyway, she said these executive actions represent another assault on the Constitution by the president. And she has called for defunding the Justice Department over this. Any movement? You could. I mean, you could pass, try to pass something like that. But remember, the budget's already done for this year. So it would have to be something else that could be filibustered again in the Senate. But again, I'll sort of circle back to what I started with. 
I'm not sure that there's really that much new ground broken uh, in these executive actions. They remind me a lot in the sense of what happened three years ago right now, in which the president rolled out 23 different executive actions on guns. Nobody could probably recite those now because they really did not have an impact. There is some here, but uh, I'm not I'm not sure what the Republicans do. I'm sure they'll have some vote related to it, but whether or not they can actually get something to the president, I'm not so sure about that. Pretty interesting. I'll tell you that. Uh, a lot of presidential news out there. We now have a poll shows that Ted Cruz is defeating Hillary. Uh, one poll has Ted Cruz up by nine in Iowa. Another has Trump and Cruz tied, but Trump remains in the lead at nationally and in New Hampshire and in South Carolina and in Nevada. Yeah, and there was a new poll out in California today, and the only reason I note it is just because of trends. It showed Cruz yeah. ahead of Trump, but margin of error stuff, with, with Rubio then in third in double digits. And, you know, we're seeing that outside of New Hampshire, we're really sort of seeing Cruz and Trump up top. Rubio has now moved securely into third, and nobody really near him. New Hampshire is the only state where it's different. You're going to have Governor Christie on later today. I mean, uh, I, I know a few months ago you thought Christie was dead. He really, he does have a chance still in, he's in New double, Hampshire. He's in, he's in 13 in one poll, 11 in another. That's pretty you significant know, if increase. You, if you can be sort of the guy that wins the, the everybody but Trump and Cruz primary in New Hampshire and finishes second or even wins, and your name is Rubio, Christie, Kasich, or Bush... That's a big launching pad, and that's why this is, realistically, I mean, he won't say it, but realistically, New Hampshire is all or nothing for several of those candidates, not Rubio, but the others, I think it'd be true. The Daily Caller reports today that Rand Paul and Carly Fiorina may not get an invitation to the next uh, primetime yeah. debate. That's the way it looks, uh, the one that's being run by the Fox Business Network on the 14th down in North Charleston, South Carolina. They may have as few as six people up on the stage for that one for the Republicans. And then Rand Paul has already said that he does not want to participate. I mean, he could still back off that, but he has said he doesn't want to participate if he's uh, moved down to the lower tier. So right now you would have Trump, Cruz, Rubio, and it looks like Carson and maybe Christie and Bush who would qualify, and the others might not. So, uh, you know, that's a tough one. Looks like John Kasich would get it. It's going to be very close for him. It's going to be very close for several of them. There's a bunch of different rules as to how you qualify. But obviously, if you get booted down at that point, then there's another debate later in the month on the 28th in Iowa. We have not been told as yet what uh, what the criteria will be for that debate. It was an interesting story in the New York Times. I want to get your take on this. And it showed that Trump's best state is West Virginia. Mm -hmm. It's followed by New York, where eight of Mr. Trump's 10 best congressional districts are in New York, including Long Island and upstate New York. Um, And a lot of Democrats that he has. And a lot of Democrats. Exactly. The Reagan Democrats kind of reemerging from uh, their their hiding over these many years. But then it's North Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana, South Carolina follow. But you got to wonder. Does Donald Trump in any way have the possibility of rewriting the electoral map oh. that that we currently have in place? Because, look, it, it's very hard under the current circumstances if Republicans can't open up other states, if they can't open up a Michigan where they have a Republican governor, if they can't open up a Wisconsin, if they can't op- win a state like Iowa, New Hampshire, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, and run the table on them, if they don't run the table, and add new states, and, and the new states obviously would be uh, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan. Then you have to include Iowa, New Hampshire, and New Mexico. 
and they have to run the table on every one of those states. That's a difficult task. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the, there's two separate issues here. One, it's obvious that Trump is still drawing a lot of those Reagan-type Democrats who are still registered as Democrats. And so one issue is, do they participate at all in the Republican primaries and caucuses along the way? Or are they the type of voters that who are registered Democrat, but they vote Republican in November? And there's still a lot of those people out there. And, you know, does that hurt Trump in the first go-round? Whereas if he could survive that and get to the general and be able to use those people, you know, that's a whole different issue. Uh, the, 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 the question that I have still in some states is, are the people who say they're for Trump, are they registered as Republicans? Are they registered to vote? Are they really going to turn out? Because it is a whole different thing to just show up at a rally as opposed to spend several hours in a, but in you a know school what? or a library. you got to believe that, and this is funny. You got to believe that if people are willing to show up at rallies, that's a pretty good indicator that they're motivated to vote for somebody. No, uh, well, that it, it, this takes us back to uh, the press not being allowed all the time to interview the Trump people who are at the uh, at the rally, and it happened again last night at his rally in Massachusetts, where the reporters were penned up for a while. The 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 sort of anecdotal evidence is yes, there's an awful lot of people who are coming out, but there's an awful lot of people who come out as well because it's the big show in town, and that's what you just never know uh, about some of these things. It's funny as a reporter, most people wouldn't know this, but as a reporter, when you go cover these events, I mean the the first thing you need to do there is cover the, the candidate. But the second most important thing is to interview as many voters as possible to try to get a read on what they're thinking. What You'd is be amazed. A, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you'd just be amazed at how much insight you gather into those people who are there for an event like Trump. Let's talk about the Hillary-Donald Trump battle. Uh, Hillary says her New Year's resolution is to uh, not mention Donald Trump. Let's see how long that lasts. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. That's it for, for her. Uh, and other Democrats, I think they'll be after her uh, after Trump for a while. I mean, she might not want to get into the weeds and a back and forth with him on a daily basis, but I find it hard to think that she's going to ignore him for the next couple of weeks. All right, Jamie Dupree, a lot going See you, on. Sean. The most connected man in Washington.